I really have uh, seen a lot of benefits in my patients and even in my family. Uh, my son lost weight, my brother lost weight and reduced his medications. So um, it's really very useful. It's like a treasure that I found that, you know, uh, um, that I want to you know, share with people as much as possible. As, um, something very valuable, that something very helpful that you just want to uh, share it to as many. Hello and great day to all the viewers and podcast listeners of this low-carb health doctor platform. So for this episode, we are honored to have with us as a valued guest, uh, another doctor who is an internal medicine specialist. More specifically, he is a gastroenterologist by profession and he's been practicing for the past 20 years. And may I welcome to the show Dr. Ramon Yap. Ramon, would you like to say a few words as an introduction to our audience? Hi, um, good day to everyone. I'm Dr. Ramon Yap, and um, I've been invited by Don here in this in his ch- uh, podcast and and I'm, I hope that what we will discuss today will uh, be of learning to many people. Okay, thank you, Mon. Thank you for, for accepting my invitation to guest in this show. So, you are a doctor. Uh, and I admit that I may have some kind of bias, you know, for interviewing doctors especially with with this uh, let's say advocacy with regards to low carb uh, primarily because uh, for me doctors and health professionals who are also doing low carb as a lifestyle are you know it's like before I'm sure before you have prescribed it and applied it to your own self as a lifestyle and thereafter significantly followed it there should be some medical reason why, in the first place, you ascribe to it based on your own medical knowledge as an internist. So, may I ask you, since when have you been doing this low carbohydrate, <clears throat> healthy fat lifestyle of yours? Um, I think I started around July 2019, um, around the second week, because during the first week of that year, we had a reunion with my uh, medical technology classmates, and one of my classmates uh, lost like 25 kilos in six months, and he was also my roommate during that uh, reunion in Surigao. And he, he shared with us what he did, and he said that he walked 13,000 steps a day and um, did the low carb way of eating. So when I got back from Surigao, instead of eating um, a piece of toast every early morning at 4 o'clock, I decided to just drink black coffee and then plan to eat at 8 o'clock in the morning because usually by then I would be very, very, very hungry. 
by 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. But it so happened that I was able to go at around 10 o'clock before I could, before I really ate. And I guess I jump started to the 14 hour fast and followed the low carb way of eating. And then with regards to the step, I, I don't think I targeted 13,000. 13, I think I targeted just seven to 10,000 uh, steps per day. Walking? And then, That's uh, a- yeah, steps, the whole day steps, well, whether you walk in the morning or as long as you try to have a total of seven to 10,000 10, steps a, in a day. You have this app in your phone or some kind of device that counts? The number of yes, steps? more or less. Uh, I think uh, more on the watch and cell phone. You know, take things. <laughs> Technology. Yeah. Okay. So, are you are you now doing just uh, low carbohydrates, or are are you also doing fasting, or you know? Just- um. Yes. Basically. Um, yeah, I do subscribe to LCIF, meaning low carb intermittent fasting. So within like within three months, I already saw some weight loss, and BP was creeping up already, and it was it went down, and then my my uh, blood sugar level, my triglycerides uh, years before that were not so good. And they started to improve. So I got encouraged by what I was doing and started to read. And maybe as a doctor, I'm just like, you know, when you're hungry for knowledge and I am into Amazon Kindle. So I kind of bought and read a lot of books in the last three years. (laughs) So... At that time, that was uh, 2019, so that's something like uh, uh, three three years, exactly, more or less, three years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, a little more than three years. Uh-huh. So, as you said, you, you first came across that because a classmate of yours was doing it, and... Uh, I'm sure you had some, let's say, apprehensions doing that in the first place at the outset because, you know, like we're, we're, we're both doctors and you know how we've been trained to look at nutrition in our medical curriculum. So what, what actually at that time motivated you to, to start following what your classmate was, was doing and what eventually made you adopt the low carbohydrate lifestyle what what was your motivation at that time i guess it was the the weight loss yeah um, because i was uh, around like getting to like 76 77 kilos at that time uh-huh. and you know i wanted to be healthier and i just actually just tried that uh, not sure where it will lead me and but around that time, I also really like watch uh, Nina Tyke Holtz, uh, big fat surprise lecture. 
And then I read, already got to read some of the Jason Fung books and his lectures. So it was like uh, it it kind of went together. The what I was doing like a trial thing, and then the knowledge also was I was already I was also accumulating some knowledge about about fats, about some realities. That kind that were that are kind of hidden from us because of the narrative or something. Yeah, so I don't think I had any apprehension after after I I would say big fat surprise of Nina Thai coach was kind of a big help for me because it uh, I got rid of my fear of fat with that and also with uh, the other. The, other doctors, the other uh, practitioners of the local community, um, I got to learn from them a lot. I'm sure it uh, initially it wasn't that easy for you, knowing that from medical school or even perhaps even before medical school, even during pre-medical courses and even in earlier in high school, we've been taught that fat is you know some evil thing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's supposed to elevate your blood pressure and supposed to be causing heart attack and stroke and all that. So, like what you said, that book by Nina, they calls The Big Fat Surprise, was a big help for you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, because that dispelled a lot of the, you know, the fear of fat. Yeah. Um, so, after that, but I did not really go into, I would not say, like, a high fat diet. I was just looking at my carbohydrate intake. So I would say I was a low carb practitioner and I just ate uh, vegetable and protein and fat, but did not really count what I was eating in terms of the other nutrients. I was just concerned about eating less carbs, like eating less rice and avoiding bread. So basically, I just started with that. And then, of course, uh, through the years, I never stopped listening to lectures, podcasts, and reading books to support, you know, what the what we are doing. Because we we don't we also don't want to uh, just dive into something that we we don't have any knowledge about or something. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I can relate with you about that because in my own case, when I first started it, as I I guess I've told you that before. Have cognitive dissonance. <laughs> that means it's like you know this thing. It's been programmed in your yeah. head for so long, and then all of a sudden you got new evidences that it seems like it's not the right thing in reality. And then you try to adapt a new paradigm, but then subconsciously you still know that you still have this apprehension because for so long, ever since you you've been studying all this thing. You know that this is supposed to be an evil thing. You know, the fat is an evil thing. And then, like, you know, uh, carbohydrates are okay because they're supposed to be part of the vegan or vegetarian diet and all that. So, in my case, uh, as a neurologist, we call that cognitive dissonance. And yeah, yeah. did you also encounter such a thing? Like that cognitive um, dissonance initially? 
Um, I do. I'm. I, I don't think so. Actually, for my case, I just kind of accepted. Uh, I, I guess because really one of the first thing that I that I saw was big fat surprise, and then I just accepted that uh, idea of Nina that you know uh, we've been. Uh, th there was kind of some degree of misinformation, and then. Um, so I, I like you. I actually I don't think I I had a difficulty accepting that I will go into the other side of eating more fat and avoiding carbohydrates. Yeah, I, I'm I'm I don't know if I'm lucky in that sense. <laughs> probably, probably because uh, I think yeah that's good for you. I think in my own case I I had this really deep rooted uh, belief that. That fat is really, you know, bad for for us. It's supposed to be an evil thing because, uh, as I have shared before, my own father died of myocardial infarction of what we call heart attack. So, all the while, from that time onwards, I was really blaming fat as the cause of the heart attack of my father. When in retrospect, it 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 now seems very clear that my own father had metabolic syndrome from the way he looks and uh, mm -hmm. I don't know his labs at that time. Uh, you are a gastroenterologist, so I have really been, you know, uh, waiting to ask you this particular question because uh, as, a, as a specialist of the gastrointestinal tract, including the liver, I suppose, uh, that's your forte. So in terms of the metabolic syndrome, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD is really a very, very important association. And I, I think uh, it's now becoming more and more known to the general public these days. Though uh, I know of many colleagues and many doctors who are not that well aware of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and its relationship to to the metabolic syndrome. So in your own right. case, what, what can you say about it as a gastroenterologist? And how is your experience with your own set of patients, perhaps in terms of this entity and its complications? Uh, what can you say about that? Well, um, for a long time, we, the gastroenterologists, were just waiting for the, for the drugs uh, to come out that they will be effective and one drug in particular obeticolic acid was very promising i have a cousin in the united states who is a gastroenterologist and he told me about it and it, it, uh, that it was promising that it was uh, very good for fatty liver um, the only problem i think was the safety issue it was it wasn't sold yet so it's not available in the market yet and it was basically we're just waiting for a good drug that can reverse fatty liver. And of course, I was ignorant about the relationship. I would say ignorant about the relationship of metabolic syndrome and fatty liver and diabetes and before 2019 at least. And after that, I read a lot. I studied, learned a lot, and then and started applying it to my patients, the low-carb way of eating, and if they can, to do intermittent fasting. And I have seen now patients uh, 
normalizing their fatty liver, normalizing the ALT, that's the liver enzyme that gets elevated in relation to if there's inflammation of the liver. So now I see uh, if the patient will follow the, the teachings of the low-carb way of eating, and you can really see the normalization of the, S, the ALTs and the uh, ultrasound finding of fatty liver is also uh, normalized or it disappears. And it's really kind of nice to be able to see that uh, reversal of the problem. Because you know that, you know, it's not only the fatty liver that will be uh, affected. The rest will be affected also if the patient has elevated blood sugar, elevated blood pressure, the overall um, some degree of uh, um, um, the thinking, the mental health, because it also improves. Uh, the low-carb way of eating can also improve our uh, mental state. So you see a lot of improvement in the patient. And it's really a good thing to be able to finally have this uh, armamentarium to be able to treat the fatty liver without using medication and not just treating the fatty liver, but the totality of the health of the patient is improved. Do they usually go together? That 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 thing you mentioned about uh, ultrasound findings of fatty liver and those liver enzymes, the ALT, as you mentioned earlier, do, do they usually, like let's say when the ALT elevates or perhaps even AST, do they usually go together with a fatty liver finding on ultrasound? What's your experience and what's what's about that? Yeah, most of the time, um, so some patients are go to me because of or refer to me because of elevated liver enzyme alt ast and then um where they do an ultrasound and they're discovered to be to have fatty liver and when they lose weight after a few months then uh, there will be a um, reversal of those things yeah and of course i also get the i also get the lipid profile blood sugar because uh, you always evaluate for metabolic syndrome and they would improve also together with uh, the other things. I'm curious in your own practice as a gastroenterologist, how often do you see patients like those, you know, get gets referred to you for elevated liver enzymes and then, and then you suspect some fat liver disease condition going on and then you do get to diagnose it as such and then and then rule it in as a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and with or in association or not with metabolic syndrome. How often do you encounter patients like those in your practice now? Um, it's quite often nowadays uh, because it's really getting more prevalent. Uh, being overweight or obese and uh, having fatty liver at the same time is getting more prevalent. So. Yeah, I do get it now more than before, and I'm just happy that I can I can now truly help a patient uh, instead of prescribing drugs that are you know not necessarily very good in terms of the ability to reverse the problem. So I'm really happy with that uh, with this situation that I'm really able to reverse the problem of the patient.
That's uh, nice to hear, and that's quite amazing. Uh, because I can relate to what you're saying, because before, when I was not really that well aware of this metabolic syndrome and it, all its repercussions, in my own practice as a neurologist, I see lots of stroke patients. And, and uh, b- before, I just take it for granted that uh, they, they, they have the, that stroke as a complication of hypertension and atherosclerosis yeah. and all that. And then after I became aware of this uh, metabolic syndrome, and because as as I I mentioned already before, I, I myself got metabolic syndrome. I, I diagnosed myself and reversed the process. It's like first-hand experience for me. So after that, I got so I got uh, awakened to to this to these truths, and I began applying them to this to to my own patients, to my own set of patients. And it really was very I was really very surprised when I was reviewing all my my outpatient stroke patients, a lot of them have metabolic syndrome. It's like before I wasn't able to diagnose it. And in fact, even after they had a stroke, even when I was doing secondary stroke prevention with all the medications, uh, a lot of them still weren't really that improving well and the risk factors were still significant. But then when they started applying low-carbohydrate diet in their own lifestyle, a lot of the laboratory parameters indeed improved. So I was—I just mentioned that in relation to what you told me about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And yeah, uh, in those patients with metabolic syndrome who had stroke, a lot of them have fatty liver disease. I, I used to think that uh, AST and perhaps ALT rather, and perhaps to a certain extent AST is, you know, I, I used to take it for granted that they're like elevated to the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then I just tell them, ah, never mind, sooner or later it's going to probably come down. So I was not really addressing it that much because in the ultrasound, there seems to be no abnormal finding. Is that correct? There are cases where uh, AST is elevated, but uh, ultrasound does not reveal any abnormal pathology in the liver, yet it's already a beginning sign of fatty liver disease. It's yeah, that's very much possible. Yeah, because you know the ultrasound is a subjective uh, procedure, so it's very operator dependent and machine dependent. So it's not necessarily that the sonologist will be able to find it. So it's um, a normal ALT cannot totally rule out the um, the presence of fatty liver. Maybe a fibro scan would be a better test. Yeah, but it's kind of expensive this time. So not many people um, have it. And with regards to the point of metabolic syndrome or elevated ALT, actually, I think um, we did not know what to do about it also. Uh, that's why it was not being taught because there, was, there, were, there were no good drugs for that. Like the glycerides, the phenofibrates are not really very good for elevated triglycerides so so there was it's kind of like uh, there's no point in knowing the presence or absence of metabolic syndrome because we couldn't do anything about it before now that uh, we can do something about it then it makes sense that we look for it because we can treat it well um, really really treat it you know not like 
the way we treat other things, like it's like more of a palliative thing or we're just suppressing the symptom of the problem. The, the way that we do it with the low carb is really reversing the underlying problem, which is mostly insulin resistance. So that's why now it makes sense to, to know the ALT, whether there's fatty liver, whether there's metabolic syndrome, because if you can't do anything about it, then it won't make so much difference, right? If you know if you know it or not. Yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, I do agree with that. <laughs> yeah, because like like in LDL, LDL is the one that is being hammered to us because we have a statin for that. So all doctors, especially internists, are aware of the LDL because we have a treatment for that. But HDL, internists would have, you know, a difficult time um, trying to explain to the patient how it can be elevated. So we, we don't look at HDL so much. We, we, we probably look at it, but not the same way that we are looking at it now, because now there's something that we can do about it now. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice thing to uh, to, to be learning to acknowledge now in our own practice, especially the, now that we are aware of. We are sufficiently aware and perhaps able to address this metabolic syndrome in a more effective way. Uh, I'm sure you also have the same experience. So I, I think I remembered you telling me that you, you yourself have metabolic syndrome. Can you tell us more about it and what was your experience? Um, yes, uh, many years ago, I think I already had metabolic syndrome also because of my love for soft drinks. Uh, I would eat donuts before that, uh, during those times. And now, um, I don't have metabolic syndrome. And I actually feel 10 years younger than my age because of the, the benefits of doing a low-carb intermittent fasting way of um, living and it's really um, uh, kind of mind-blowing to be able to you know uh, uh, reverse your health problems I, I really thought that you know I was just waiting that I will become a diabetic uh, uh, like have a prostate enlargement and you know at 65 70 be on three five seven medications and now I'm looking forward with, with uh, reaching that age and see whether I will be on any medications. Uh -huh. Because right now, I really, I really don't have any need for that. So you mean to say right now you're not, you're not taking any medications anymore? You used to be taking yes, medications. Uh, actually, um, just vitamins. Uh -huh. But, you know, as you grow older... Uh, you would expect because a lot of you know a lot of my uh, classmates, batchmates, uh, friends, relatives. Um, oftentimes, when you reach 60, 70, you will be on maintenance medications. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I expected that. Yes, and um, I don't like needles, so I really feared becoming a diabetic. So thankfully. I think I will, I, I will never become a diabetic with the way that I'm eating. 
the low carb way. Yes, yeah. and fasting, of course. Uh, but you are following your laboratory parameters, I suppose. Your laboratory test. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I used to take my my lipid profile like every two years because of my fear of needles. But now I do it every year, sometimes twice a year. Uh -huh. Because I'm also curious as to, you know, the changes that are happening. Because you cannot, I don't want to just rely on the what I can see in terms of the blood pressure, my weight. I also wanted to verify internally in terms of the blood works that things are really okay. Yeah, there's this one particular concern, which is to a certain extent really valid based on how we've been trained as physicians before in terms of uh, laboratory parameters that uh, patients are, you know, getting, uh, including my own laboratory parameters, because uh, a fellow a colleague physician once told me my LDL is high. And then, but my, okay. triglycer my triglyceride is very low now. It used to be very high, like it. It almost reached 200. I think the highest I got was 199. And my HDL was, was low. It, was, it reached as low as in the 30s before. But, but now my triglyceride mm -hmm. is, is like my latest triglyceride is in the 60s. And this is the first time ever that my triglyceride level is lower than my HDL or good cholesterol level. My, my re most recent HDL level is almost 70 and my triglyceride level is just a little more than 60 so it's like if you do the ratio triglyceride over hdl it's less like than one. less than one already for for the first time in history in, in your case <laughs> but but my ldl was kind of elevated like if we base it on the ncep uh, you know criteria national cholesterol education program now, many colleagues, physicians would would tell would tell me would say that I have hypercholesterolemia because my LDL is high. Uh, how about yours? Did you find any you know tendency for that in your own lab results? Um, yes, for me, my um, triglyceride divided by the HDL, the good cholesterol. That's the triglyceride HDL ratio. And it's supposed to be, I believe it should be less than two. Uh, uh, less than three would be nice, but I think less than two is the more ideal ratio. And I used to have a five. Huh? And yeah, my last two, uh, two takings this year, I'm less than one. So I went from a little more than five to less than one. Uh -huh. But my LDL is elevated. That's why I'm very thankful to Dave Feldman. Feldman, uh -huh. um, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if yeah, the listeners know know him, but he's a software engineer, and he 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 kind of found that there are people uh, whom he calls the lean mass hyperresponders who can have ele elevated LDL, but very low triglyceride and even high HDL. So when I compared myself to these people, I'm very close to being a lean mass hyper responder. Yes, and physically, yes, 
I'm approaching even that, you know, in terms of my physique. Um, my waistline is getting smaller and smaller. Unfortunately, unfortunately, my butt is also getting smaller and smaller, <laughs> uh, which my wife doesn't like. <laughs> but you know, in terms of the, uh, in terms of being afraid of having a heart attack because of an elevated LDL, um, Dave Feldman has, uh, has somehow given me the assurance. They just came out with a study that people with elevated LDL. Um, if the ratio is very low, that probably you don't need a statin. So I'm I'm not uh, I've been I've been you know in the residency training program. I'm telling the residents, can you find a heart attack patient who has this ratio of less than one, and uh, the BMI is very very good, and this patient had a heart attack? Can you please find me uh, an example of that? <laughs> because you know. The people in the ICU, uh, the, the profile is very much different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm confident even if my uh, LDL, uh, LDL is elevated because, you know, because of these lean mass hyperresponders and it's a different uh, 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 group of people. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think I also uh, remember Professor... Kenneth uh, Sicaris of Australia, uh, a chemical pathologist who illustrated based on his, his studies that uh, these people with elevated LDL with good triglyceride over HDL profiles are these LDLs, even though they are supposedly elevated, are the good kind of LDLs, not the... Yeah, the fluffy kind. Yeah, yeah, the... Yeah, the uh, so-called buoyant kind of uh, LDLs. Large, large buoyant. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very comforting to know that these studies have already come out. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Least, I think I think it's already high time for the for the societies to to change the guidelines like LDL identifying LDL as the bad kind of cholesterol. I, I think it's already high time for the medical societies to to revise the definition of the good and the bad cholesterol. Would you agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should differentiate the large buoyant and the small dense LDL. Now, hopefully in the future, the, the, the test won't be that expensive. Hopefully. But for now, what I know is that the triglyceride HDL ratio is a good, like, uh, good, good way of knowing whether you have the large buoyant or the small dense LDL, and of course, it's the small dense LDL which uh, is more atherogenic. It's the it's actually the culprit for the uh, 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 plaque formation, uh, which is which of course starts with the uh, inflammation. Without inflammation, uh, the cholesterol will not necessarily attach to the vessel walls. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Uh, it's like uh, I think this uh, these ratios that you mentioned earlier, like the triglyceride over the HDL ratio, are really good surrogate markers for for yeah the level of small dense LDLs or the atherogenic kind of LDLs, as you said. Uh, so yeah. Uh, 
if I may ask you, Mon, from your own personal experience, what would be for you the most important benefits that you have experienced in a nutshell with regards to your adaptation of the low-carbohydrate and intermittent fasting lifestyle? Well, um, based on you know the work of uh, Benjamin Bickman, Dr. Bickman, you know insulin resistance is kind of you know uh, hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance. It's basically the the root of many diseases that we are experiencing in the modern world. And doing the low carb uh, way of eating and with together with fasting can uh, very much improve uh, insulin resistance, lower the level of uh, insulin in the body. And with that, you kind of, you know, you're able to prevent or probably or even heal or reverse some of these conditions, prostate enlargement, polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, diabetes, hypertension, dementia, and even like skin diseases, I used to have some issues, skin issues, and now they're gone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, uh, it's really amazing in terms of uh, what, uh, what are the effects of having chronic hyperinsulinemia or insulin resistance. And, you know, the many things that can, that, uh, that can be reversed by practicing the low-carb way of eating. And, you know, during the pandemic, um, the one of the risk factors or comorbidities, um, the weight, right? right? The obesity was a big factor during the epidemic of the um, COVID-19. And, you know, um, if, if we were able to uh, diminish or decrease the prevalence of obesity, then probably... Uh, not so many people will have succumbed to uh, the COVID-19. So I think for me, the lesson with, with the COVID-19 is we should take care of our body. We should try to lower insulin resistance and hopefully uh, be able to deal with uh, infections in the future. Yeah, that was indeed a very big learning experience for physicians that COVID-19 and its, uh, uh, let's say, tragic association with metabolic syndrome. Because the, the way I gather it, most of the deaths of COVID-19 are patients with metabolic syndrome and all its repercussions. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, what... If you have any what message would you like to share to others about your own personal experience in doing low carb and with or without intermittent fasting month? Um, I really have uh, seen a lot of benefits in my patients and even in my family. Um, I, I, I was able to, uh, my son lost weight. My brother lost weight and reduced his medications. So um, it's really very useful. And I really, it's like a treasure that I found that, you know, uh, um, that I want to you know, share with people. 
as much as possible. Um, something very valuable, that something very helpful that you just want to uh, share it to as many, uh, which is probably why you're doing this, because you want to uh, help more people with this, uh, with this avenue. Yeah. <laughs> you hit the bullseye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you said, what you told me, you mean to say you, you successfully convinced your immediate relatives to also follow your lifestyle then. As you said, your brother's doing it and your son is doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do try to uh, set the example. And that's why I, you know, uh, in terms of uh, exercising, uh, sleeping, because for I, I always try to, uh, because for me, health, uh, true health, the path to true health is sleep, stress management, diet, and exercise. So these four, I really try to uh, live by. Yes, and be an example to many people. Yeah, I think the common denominator of those things that mentioned, uh, proper sleep, what was that again? Proper stress management. Stress management. and Diet. Diet and exercise, exercise yeah. I think that what I see as the common denominator of those is like uh, the, the the level of uh, stress and anxiety in one's own lifestyle, right? I think it, uh, when you have chronic stress, whether it is uh, physical or mental or psychological stress, it somehow elevates your stress hormones, your adrenaline and all that, and it, it chronically uh, kicks in your... your uh, sympathetic response, your fight or flight response, and that somehow activates your, your, or rather, that that somehow promotes further insulin resistance, right? That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. So I think that's quite a a lot of things that you have shared with with us and. The, the audience of this show, Mon. Uh, but but before be, before we call it today, uh, if if anyone would like to connect with you or perhaps uh, get in touch with you, consult with you, how may you be connected? Mind if I ask? Um, basically, I just uh, have my clinic in Polymatic Plaza and Capital University Medical Center and. By next year, I will probably uh, I will be having clinic also at the uh, newly built Ace Medical Center uh, in Lapasan. So that's where they can uh, get in touch with me. Uh, I don't have so uh, so much social media presence. I just go on Twitter to learn new things uh, because you know the books are kind of delayed by three years. So. Uh, it's in Twitter that you can, if you follow the right doctors, then you get to learn a lot. Uh, the new things that comes out, that come out, you can already learn about it. You don't have to wait for three years. Yeah. So that's the value of Twitter for me. And uh, before we go, is there anything else that you might, you might have, for, uh, I might have forgotten to ask you, would like to share to our audience? 
with regards to this topic that we have talked so far? Um, uh, well, there's, there's uh, probably, uh, I'd say that, you know, knowledge is power. So there are many, you know, there are many ways to learn about this way of eating and confirm whether what we are saying is true or not. And because, you know, there's right now, it's kind of, there, there's this issue of misinformation and there are many other types of diet. So for me, um, for the audience, probably if you have the time, yeah, uh, listen to podcasts, um, maybe read books if you can, if you have access to books, uh, because, you know, knowledge is really key. I was able to confidently go into this after reading and listening to a lot of lectures. Yeah. Uh, but it takes time and effort. And probably, you know, I hope that many, many more of our colleagues will you know, also do their own research so that we can be empowered. Yeah. And much of that, I think, is self-learning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have textbook. to just be patient. It's not in the textbooks yet, much of it, I suppose. So I'm quite sure everything that you have shared with us here in this show, Mon, would be very useful to to all our audience, to, to patients and to medical colleagues in, also. So with that, I thank you very much for sharing your own personal experience and learnings about the low-carbohydrate lifestyle plus intermittent fasting. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Subscribe to my Low Carb Health Doctor channel. Get notified of my upcoming videos by clicking on that notification bell. And see you next time.